Today's reading is taken from Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As I mentioned, this evening sees the start of a new series on the life of Joshua. He's one of the most important leaders of God's people in the Old Testament. Tonight we'll be looking particularly at a number of ways in which Joshua was prepared for the job which ultimately he had in leading God's people into the Promised Land. Joshua was mentored by Moses. And Ollie has just read to us the Lord's words to Joshua personally, in which the Lord breaks the news to Joshua that Moses was dead. For nearly 40 years before this point, Joshua had served as Moses' assistant. I suppose nowadays we might say that Joshua had been Moses' PA, although he was a lot more than that. Moses was 80 years old when he came out of Egypt with Israel. At that time, Joshua is described as a young man. In fact, even near the end of Exodus, he is described as a young man. And there's a good reason for believing that when Joshua came out of Egypt with Moses, that he might have been as young as 19, if you look at Numbers chapter 14. But even though there might have been about 60 years between Moses and Joshua, they forged a close and trusted working relationship. Even at a young age, Joshua displayed real leadership qualities which brought him to the attention of Moses. And under the mentoring of Moses, Joshua was eventually equipped to take the place of Moses as the leader of Israel. It was Joshua 
who actually led the children of Israel into their inheritance in the promised land in Canaan. What I'd like to do this evening is to review the main snapshots which were given, particularly in the book of Exodus, of how Joshua was prepared for his future role. Now, I'm going to rely on your memory of the events of Exodus. The first time we encounter Joshua, he has just been appointed by Moses to create what would eventually become the army of Israel. Joshua had to select the first troops and lead them into the battle against the Amalekites. The Amalekites were like a nomadic tribe who were very violent and a constant thorn in the side of Israel down through the generations. Joshua was already showing his military leadership skills and he would need those skills later when he led the armies of Israel in the Promised Land. Moses saw his potential even as a young man and gave him this challenging and dangerous task. But Moses also saw that there was one particular lesson that Joshua needed to learn, which was more significant than his military skills. Joshua needed to learn the importance of prayer. So before the battle started, Moses went up to a hill overlooking the battlefield and lifted up his hands in prayer so that Joshua could see that he was praying. During the battle, I'm sure Joshua looked up from time to time, and he began to notice a pattern. When he saw that Moses' hands were raised up, he noticed that the battle was going well for him. But when Moses became tired and his arms fell down, Joshua noticed that at those times he and his army were driven backwards. Eventually Moses got two men to hold up his arms permanently and so the battle was won eventually. But that was a very important lesson for Joshua and God told Moses to make sure that Joshua remembered this lesson. Joshua was not the sort of person who found it easy to pray instinctively. His instincts were always to take action. He was glad that there were others like Moses who prayed for him, but he found it hard to pray himself. And Moses saw that weakness in Joshua at an early stage. Because Moses saw that any battle in life is also a spiritual battle. And that battling in prayer as every bit is as important as battling on the ground. Joshua did remember that lesson much later, when he was fighting in the Promised Land. Once Israel was in the middle of a major war against the Amorites, Israel desperately needed more daylight to press home the victory. And the sun was starting to set. There was a danger that victory would slip out of their grasp. And at that moment, Joshua remembered the lesson that Moses had taught him. And Joshua turned to the Lord in prayer and he cried out for the sun to stand still and give him more time. The Lord answered his prayer and the victory was completed. And this is what that part of scripture says about that day. There has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. 
if you're involved in any work for the Lord. One of the crucial lessons you need to learn is that any battle is a spiritual battle. The real enemies are not people, but spiritual enemies in the heavenly realms. And we engage in those battles through prayer. That needs to be ingrained in everyone, especially those in any position of leadership. It does not come naturally to many active people, but Joshua would tell us that it's important to learn that lesson when you are young. Some of you may be going to university in the next few weeks, and you will come up against some very non-Christian ideas and ways of thinking which perhaps you've been protected from up to now. You might find it hard to argue against them. Those false ideas from society could be like your Amalekites, which you have to fight with. You'll be fighting a spiritual battle, not primarily an intellectual battle. You must learn to spend time in prayer, uh, bringing the things that disturb you, even the things that embarrass you, and lay them out honestly before the Lord. And remember, too, that every week there will be many faithful people in our church here, like Moses on that hill, who will be lifting up their hands to God's throne on your behalf. The next snapshot we get of Joshua is when Moses is called to go up Mount Sinai to collect the Ten Commandments. He was going into the very presence of God and would be there for 40 days and 40 nights. Those commandments were going to be personally written by the finger of God. But we do read that when Moses went up the mountain on that occasion, he brought Joshua with him. What an experience that must have been for Joshua. He was the only other man on the planet who saw what Moses saw. He saw the two tablets of stone with those wonderful words engraved on them coming directly from the pen of God himself, as it were. Those words were possibly the first part of the whole Bible that was written down in its inspired form. And Joshua discovered the true source of God's word, God himself. He saw that scripture was not some book of morals thought up afterwards by well-meaning moral philosophers. He knew that the Bible was not cleverly contrived historical propaganda constructed to give Israel some sense of destiny. Joshua was privileged to see that the basis of all scripture came directly through the personal inspiration of God himself. That conviction stayed with Joshua throughout his whole life. From that point on, he had utter confidence in what is called the law of Moses, because he saw that that law didn't really come from Moses. It came directly from God. Years later, when Joshua entered the land, one of his first missions was to build a large plastered wall in the middle of enemy, enemy territory, on a mountain overlooking the centre of idolatry in Canaan. 
And on that wall, Joshua wrote the law of Moses for all to see. He was not ashamed of those words, even in an unbelieving and mocking world. He knew that the words he was holding up in public were the very words of God himself. Many centuries later, the Apostle Paul was writing to a young man called Timothy and handing over the baton of teaching the Bible to the next generation in a similarly unbelieving and rather hostile world. Paul reminds Timothy of this foundation. From infancy, Paul says, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. The world we live in today is very quick to question the reliability of the Bible. It denies the divine inspiration of Scripture. Even some Christian theologians, in their desire to be accepted and published in academic journals, have jettisoned their belief in the infallibility of Scripture. And many, a gifted young Christian, has sacrificed a potential of valuable life of service for the Lord on the altar of acceptance in the academic world. What a foolish exchange. So Joshua's preparation for his future role as leader had first his lesson on the importance of prayer and the second lesson was about the divine inspiration of Scripture. The third snapshot we get of Joshua is often overlooked. You may remember that God gave Moses directions to construct what is called the tabernacle, a sort of mobile temple. But before that, there was like a temporary tabernacle, which was a tent which Moses located outside the camp of Israel. It was called a tent of meeting because there Moses and God would meet and God would speak with Moses face to face. Perhaps it was located outside the camp because as Moses felt that the people would not welcome that public meeting with God at that time. Moses came and went as the Lord called him. But we read that Joshua stayed with that tent. Perhaps his job was to guard it and protect it, to protect it from those who had no concept of that sacred meeting place where God and man could meet together. In some ways, the modern equivalent of that tent, the modern place where people can come publicly to hear God speaking, is church. The church is described as God's temple. And today, the place for public worship of God, I think, needs to be guarded and protected, just as it was in Joshua's day. Mind you, the threat to public worship of God today, I think, does not come so much from outside as from inside. Sheer laziness can be a greater threat than external opposition. For several months now, we have not been able to meet publicly as we would have liked. Many of us have got used to the convenience of joining by Zoom from our homes. 
You don't even have to get out of your pyjamas to join for church. Of course, many members have to shield themselves and avoid social contact, and some struggle with the technology. But when this situation eventually lifts and passes, we will need to be careful not to get out of the way of meeting together for worship. It's a big book of Hebrews which urges us, do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some is. And the danger is that it can become a habit. Hebrews later goes on to point out that when Jesus was crucified by this world, they took him outside their city, outside the camp, as though Jesus had no place in society. Some of you may be going to university, perhaps across the water, where you might find that you stick out like a sore thumb if you go to a Bible-based church. But be prepared to bear a little reproach for the name of Jesus. Do not be negligent or ashamed to meet with other Christians in the name of Jesus. And so Joshua's first three lessons were on prayer, on the word of God and on worship. The final snapshot which we are given of Joshua under Moses is a really tragic time in the history of Israel. When Israel finally came to the borders of the Promised Land, Moses sent 12 leaders of Israel to spy out the land, to explore it, and to bring back some evidence of what the land was like. Joshua was one of those 12 leaders. That group of 12 went in. But 10 of them were frightened by what they saw. They felt that they would be no match for the people in the land. Fundamentally, they just did not trust God. Only Joshua and Caleb trusted the Lord to keep his promises. So the people actually received two reports of the land, both based on the same evidence. There was the majority report from those ten spies, which was very negative. They exaggerated the threats and they downplayed the attractiveness of the land. The the minority report by only Joshua and Caleb saw the same challenges, but they saw that the land was there for the taking and they urged the people to enter the land. The people of Israel accepted the majority report. It reflected their own position in that the adults did not trust God either. So the whole nation refused to enter the promised land at that time. And Moses, for all his commands, was not able to get the people to obey. As a result, the people of Israel spent a further 38 years wandering aimlessly in the desert, waiting for a new generation to arise who would trust God and eventually enter the land. Joshua was still a young man, probably in his early 20s at this stage, and he now faced a future of nearly 40 years of wandering in that desert, away from the land that he so had wanted to enter, the land that he saw was wide open. But out of his loyalty to the people, he stuck with the people for those 38 years. It would have been easy for Joshua to have lost his sense of purpose in his life. He could even have become disillusioned, perhaps even bitter. 
He could have taken even a back seat and say, well, they have ruined my life and my destiny. Let them just carry on. But through the example and mentoring of Moses, Joshua persevered. He himself set an example to the younger generation who had not rebelled against the Lord. Joshua gradually gained their respect and loyalty. And when the time came for Joshua to lead them into the promised land, the new generation said to Joshua, Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Mind you, that may or may not have inspired Joshua with confidence. I'd like to end now by considering very briefly Joshua's role in the context of the New Testament. One of the great ironies of the story of Moses and Joshua is that Moses failed to bring the people into the promised land. God had to raise up someone very different Joshua, to lead the people in. Why was that? Why was Moses unable to bring the people into the land? And what is the message of this historical fact? Moses was very good at commanding people to do the right thing. He was the embodiment of the concept of law. The law tells people what they should do. In some ways, that's what religion does. Many religions are good at telling people how to behave. But Moses was not so good at getting people to obey his commands. And that's the problem with law. The law doesn't have the power to change lawless people into law-abiding people. That takes some extra power. Moses felt the frustration of being unable to do that. And in the end, he just lost his temper, he condemned the people, and he misrepresented God's character. But what Moses was unable to do, God did by sending Joshua. The New Testament takes up exactly this point in showing why any religious religion based on trying to do good by obeying rules and regulations is bound to fail. There is only one way which leads genuinely to finding true eternal life. What is that way? Well, first, it's highly significant to notice that in the New Testament, the name Joshua is exactly the same name as Jesus. So actually, the book of Joshua we could call the book of of Jesus. So just as Moses represented the system of religion which we call law, so too Joshua represents Jesus. And Jesus is able to do what the law is always unable to do. This is how the book of Romans puts it in chapter 8. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And we will see that Joshua overcame three fundamental barriers to entering the land. There was the crossing of the River Jordan when it was in flood. There was that forbidding stronghold of Jericho which blocked the entrance to the Promised Land. 
And then there were the coalitions of regional principalities and powers who opposed Israel at every step and had to be defeated. These three physical barriers represent three fundamental spiritual barriers to entering into eternal life. There is the barrier of the sentence of death which is due because of our sin. There is the attempts of this world to keep people from facing the reality of God. And then there is the work of unseen evil forces in opposing the truth. We could summarise these three barriers as sin and death, the world and the devil. And Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, defeated each of these great enemies and has opened up the way for millions of people across the world to enter fully into eternal life. I trust as we look at each of these victories in the book of Joshua in the coming weeks, we will ourselves come into a new understanding and experience of eternal life. Let's just bring our time together to a close in prayer. And then we're going to sing our closing hymn, Jesus is Lord, the cry that echoes through creation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this book of Joshua, which gives us such inspiring insight into the magnificent achievement of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus into this world to do what no religion could do, to bring us to know God, to deal with the problem of our sins, to overcome this world and to overcome the works of the devil. We pray that as we lay our lives open to your word and as we understand particularly what the Lord Jesus has done, that we will experience in a deeper way the joy of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.